You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Taylor Kemp. I'm the Director of Formed, and with me today again is Dr. Chris Mooney. You've heard him before. You love him. Today, we are talking about St. John Newman, whose feast day is January 5th. Dr. Mooney, where shall we begin to learn about St. John Newman? Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. It's great to be able to talk about um, talk about him. I'll mention first, you know, um, I've heard his name pronounced in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, his last name is spelt, uh, for anyone who's just listening, N-E-U-M-A-N-N, -N, which to me, from the little bit of time I spent in Germany, makes me so want to pronounce it Neumann, which some people which do. I think is correct. Which is probably correct. But, but most people will hear Newman, and yes. I think that's how he's how he's revered in the U.S. And related um, to that, not St. John Henry not, Newman, yes. the English saint. Like yes. We're, so <laughs> this is the other St. John Newman. Different, <laughs> same name. Different places, different spelling. In fact, uh, viewers or listeners uh, might even find that uh, information they've heard about St. John Newman, this mm -hmm. one, is often mixed up with St. John Henry Newman. Quotes oh, that are actually from St. John Henry Newman are attributed to, to this one. But Do your homework, you know, different people. <laughs> so, okay, where should we but begin? Where should we start? So um, St. John Newman is, I think one of the reasons he's, is he, that he is remarkable is so far... He's the only canonized American uh, man who's a saint. That's um, crazy. A U.S. I'm, citizen. I'm like blown um, away by that. Yeah, yeah. And um, he became a U.S. citizen later in his life. He was actually mm -hmm. born in 1811 in Bohemia, the mm -hmm. modern-day Czech Republic. Um, but um, uh, but I think this should should direct our attention already, especially to him. You know, okay, mm -hmm. we, we want to know more about saints from our own country. Mm -hmm. um, He's uh, the first male um, American, uh, U.S. citizen. It proves holiness can be found on American soil. <laughs> Let it be known. It does. It does. Well, there are a lot more, a lot more female saints. I know um, there are. So, um, but for us men, <laughs> for us men there's hope. <laughs> so, um, but I'll say a little bit about his background. So mm -hmm. like I said, he wasn't born in the U.S. He was born in the modern-day Czech Republic um, and, um, you know, grew up in a Catholic family, really excelled in school. That was kind of one of the first ways that he stood out, did very well in his studies. So he went on for further studies. Um, and he really liked uh, different kinds of sciences, was drawn towards maybe being a doctor. But his mother mm. identified something in him. And she thought, no, I think you really have what it takes. And I think God is really calling you to be a priest. Wow. And he took this to heart. And so he did enter the seminary. Um, uh, he entered the seminary when he was around age 20, and he excelled in his studies there. Um, but then an idea entered into his mind that really captivated him, and that was to become a missionary. Hmm. Um, so, um, and this actually ended up being very providential because by the time he, <clears throat> by the time he was to be ordained, there was actually there were actually too many uh, seminarians mm -hmm. um, in his year, and so um, the bishop couldn't ordain him. Um, so it ended up being very providential that he had this desire to be a missionary. But it came about through a variety of things, through reading stories of missionaries and through um, one particular address that the director of the seminary gave about the missionary work of St. Paul that just really struck St. John deeply. Um, uh, although in a way that he didn't admit at first, um, his uh, biography mentions that um, his, uh, a friend of his, 
um, came to him afterwards and said that he was so, another seminarian that is, that he was so struck by the talk that he wanted to be a missionary. And uh, initially actually St. John teased him for a while about mm. this um, and then suddenly relented and said, no, I'm going with you. You know what the irony is though, that um, that friend ended up staying in Bohemia as a no priest way. and St. John is the one who went. Um, Lord's providence is it mysterious. Is, it is providence, yeah. So he initially resisted. Um, and, you know, he's mm. sort of like the one who, uh, the, the, you know, the son who says huh. to the father, I will not, and I will, then does. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyway, um, now, of course, his family was was shocked and saddened when he announced his plans to yeah. become a missionary. This was, um, you know, this was not what they had expected. Um, you know, um, uh, his sisters even broke down and cried uh, mm -hmm. when he said this. Um, and... Uh, he was plagued by many problems in his desire to get to the U.S. Okay. Um, you know, uh, letters that didn't go through uh, or weren't answered, communication that broke down, um, travel that didn't work, um, changed plans, a lack of money. But he had his sights set on America. Mm -hmm. Now, this may be um, a sort of surprise to imagine, but the church officially classified the U.S. as mission territory until the early 20th century um, because um, there weren't this, the structure of the church was underdeveloped. Yep. Um, and so, you know, um, strange as it may seem to us, early 19th century, post-revolutionary America, St. John and the rest of the church looked at it as mission territory. Um, but it was actually very fruitful mission territory because there were so many immigrants coming to the U.S., so many Catholic mm -hmm. immigrants. And so when he arrived in New York City, he had the clothes on his back and a dollar bill mm -hmm. or, or a dollar coin. I don't know what it was. Maybe it wasn't a bill, but he had a dollar. Uh -huh. um, and that was all he had. But the Bishop of New York was delighted to have mm -hmm. him um, and immediately said, no, no, I will ordain you right now. Um, because oh, I need so, so he wasn't even ordained. He wasn't when he ordained gets over yet there, man. because he couldn't. This yeah, is yeah, part of the this, providential yeah. problems, you know. But I think also shows the courage that that Saint For John sure. Newman had that he went to the U.S. even though he lacked the proper, you know, the proper letters. He wasn't yet ordained. Um, he didn't have the money that he was supposed to have. Didn't come through or kept running out. Um, but as Providence would have it, when he arrived, the bishop immediately identified, no, I want this man. I need yeah. a priest like him. And part of the reason was because there were a lot of German Catholics who needed mm -hmm. German-speaking priests. Um, and so he was ordained, I think, within days after his arrival in New York City. Um, but he was uh, quickly put to work as, um, as a, a priest to a, a huge rural part of upstate New York. So he arrives in New York City, but then he gets sent up to upstate New York and is I think if I remember correctly, the only priest for something like a thousand square miles. Wow. And this huge area. Um, but St. John was dedicated to it. And so he he set to work visiting, um, you know, visiting the homes of all the different Catholics in the area, uh, saying mass in people's homes, saying mass in churches that were only half built. Um, uh, I mean, his ministry in many ways was the kind of ordinary sufferings of uh, of being constantly walking, constantly on horseback, mm -hmm. constantly um, going from place to place. But this is the work that he set himself to. Yeah, and it's very pastoral, like you can tell, because it, it reveals yeah. the heart. Like mm -hmm. you know, charity should be the driver of action. You can tell, like if you're if you're yes. going out and you're celebrating mass, you're eating at people's. He, you can tell he has a pastor's heart. He wrote to um, he wrote to a friend, a, a priest back in Europe, and said. Um, something like, if you, if you want to be a missionary, you have to love poverty and be entirely disinterested. Um, 
And that's that's how he set about his missionary work. Wow. Um, so he loved poverty and was entirely disinterested. I love the little the little seg when you were talking about the difficulties that he faces because you think about how the Lord's providence often unfolds in our lives and he gives us authentic desires, right? And he had this mm -hmm. desire to be a missionary, which he was almost afraid to admit to mm -hmm. himself, yeah. which is interesting because yeah. it's like, so I, you know, I'm sure many people have wrestled with that too. Like you feel this tug on your heart and you're like, wait a second, is yeah, I this... I think in ways it's a calling that became a desire. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And so you're, you're trying to wrestle with that and you're almost afraid to admit it and are my motives messed up? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and it's so interesting because it, I feel like it's certainly common in the lives of the saints that the Lord purifies and tests people's desires and calling yes. through yeah. this kind of thing, not yeah. getting ordained, having yep. no money. And then eventually like it kind of, you get through it and then you yeah. look back and you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> yep. totally makes sense. Because he wants to purify us. He gives us our calling. It's all, what does um, St. Francis de Sales say, that there's alloy or something in the metal? <laughs> or, uh, but that these things have to be kind of cooked out of yeah, us yeah. to be more purified for the calling that he has. Yeah. And you can totally see that here with him. It's not hard for you to imagine. I'm not saying this happened, but, but to imagine um, how easy it would be for people to discourage him along the way. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, clearly you're not called to Clearly. This. You didn't um, get ordained. You didn't get ordained. Yeah. Uh, um, you need to give this up. Where are you going to um, stay? Where are you going to stay? Like, yeah, you have no money. Yeah. yeah. But all these things, you know, for him, he realized that to, to receive the Lord's call, these are secondary. Mm -hmm. so. And it's just, yeah, he was just trying to be faithful to what the Lord was doing. But yeah. I'm sure there's people that are out there listening to this. Um, where you're trying to follow the Lord yeah. and you think you're going in the right way and you're not totally sure and you're hitting obstacles and there's a discernment there, of course, but it's not that uh, the Lord often uses obstacles to purify us along the way. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not like there were, there were all obstacles. There's important confirmation. Like I said, when he yeah. arrived in New York and the bishop yeah. was so glad to it's, receive him, you know, if he had arrived in New York and the bishop said, you're delusional, you, you should go home. What are you doing here? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, maybe it would be a different story, but yeah. that's. But of course he wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I think he had the the wisdom and good sense to know that. And you can see um, that in his conversation with his friend too, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. it came up in a very natural way. He's yeah. not out there like grasping, trying to force something to work. It, like, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I love the quote, you have to be a lover of poverty and be yes. dis, uh, yeah. what was disinterested. It? Dis disinterested. Yeah. yeah. So however, dis despite that disinterested and, and mm -hmm. lover of poverty, you know, there's also a, a human dimension to uh, St. John. And part of that human dimension, uh, that's, not, that's not a euphemism. Um, it just means that um, he realized, uh, I think, how lonely he was as mm -hmm. a, a missionary in upstate New York. And so when he learned about the Redemptorists, which is a religious order started by San Alfonso of Liguri, um, he recognized an answer to his desire for community. Um, and so he actually pursued um, uh, the Redemptorist order um, and was gladly welcomed there. I think he was actually the first redemptorist ordained on, or received, he was already ordained, sorry, uh, the first received on U.S. soil. Cool. Um, so, but he became a, yeah, a lot of firsts, a lot of firsts, yeah. Um, but he retained, uh, became a redemptorist in order to be part of that religious community and to have the support that comes from having other priests with him. Um, and he was so successful as that, and you can kind of imagine, you know, if he has um, such perseverance, um, such patience and suffering and such, such zeal mm -hmm. um, and a lot of energy um, that he ended up becoming um, the provincial superior for the Redemptorists in the U.S. And then because of his great abilities, he was recognized in, in Rome um, and was chosen to be the fourth bishop of Philadelphia. Wow. Um, and, you know, Philadelphia was an, um, an even more important city at the time. Um, 
you know, um, that, remember this is, you know, just after, I mean, only a few decades after the, the uh, this is early American history, only mm -hmm. a few decades after the revolution. Philadelphia is one of the most important cities in mm -hmm. the U.S. So this is really important for him to be the fourth bishop of Philadelphia. Now, uh, St. John really did not want to be the bishop. Was a good sign, um, a sign of a good bishop. That was a sign of a good bishop. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and he's known, it's actually in, in Philadelphia now where his um, his shrine and tomb is. Yep. Um, so. I have to um, add a, a small I've note. never been, but, but have I you? I have been, yeah. So we are, uh, we're working on a great project here that'll be coming out in 2024. Uh, and part of it we filmed at his tomb in, in Philadelphia. And so I got to go and, and got to see it. And it was really cool. It was really powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's the where the where the church is and where his crypt is, uh, like it's not in a great part of town. It's yeah. like pretty yeah. unassuming. You wouldn't really think much of it. And I just remember going there like I am an American. I was I was brought up here and you go there and it's just, it's in Philly. Like it's just in this American town. And then you're like, wow, this guy's an American saint. Yeah. And I remember I was just incredibly inspired that um, every one of us is called to be a saint, even in America, uh, and, and that it's been done. And so uh, it was a great privilege to go there. Um, he, you know, he... I don't want to take any of your talking points no, or thunder please, that's this coming, so I'm not going to. But he was a teacher, yes. um, and, and he had a great love of of communicating the faith and passing it on, especially to kids. Yep. And that's part of what we want to do here at the Augustine Institute. We have yep. lots of different things, and we're we're a building filled with teachers. And so I just it was a it was a great privilege. I loved going to see his tomb and really just draw inspiration of of what the Lord did in his life coming here, and then he's a saint as an American was, it was really cool. Yeah, he wasn't bishop for very long. If I, I think he was ordained uh, bishop um, around 1850. So he was born in 1811, mm -hmm. um, bishop, I think 1850, um, but then died in 1860. Mm -hmm. So he was only bishop for around 10 years. Um, and, uh, but he did an enormous amount in just those 10 years. So you were talking about education. Um, uh, he's often credited with starting the diocesan mm -hmm. school system in the U.S. Um, he cared a lot about education, built lots of schools, lots of churches. Um, and I mean, this, you know, his desire for education came out of his own experience as an educator. Um, one of the things that he did when he was in upstate New York was often teach catechism personally. Um, when he had, uh, there was one instance where there was a teacher that um, ended up being a really poor teacher. And so this is, sorry, before he became a bishop when he was in New York. And so he let the teacher go and taught all the classes himself, um, which made an enormous burden for him. But um, but so he started the, the diocesan school system in Philadelphia. Um, and he also wrote um, catechisms for children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was looking at one just recently, uh, one of his short catechisms. It's, um, it's very short. You know, you can tell that it's pastorally intended for children. It has this question and answer format, mm -hmm. but really simple answers. It has five parts on the faith, on hope and prayer, on love and works of love, on the sacraments, and on Christian justice. Mm -hmm. Those are the five parts. Those are the basics that he wanted to, to teach. Um, he's also known for having promoted in, in the Diocese of Philadelphia the, the 40 hours devotion, remembering mm -hmm. the, yeah. the 40 hours in which Jesus was in the tomb from Friday to Sunday morning. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, this is very Protestant, early America. Um, mm -hmm. These sorts of things are the, the kinds of things that smacked a, a mm -hmm. superstition to a lot of other people. Some of you might remember from your um, uh, 
your history uh, classes in, in high school, at least I do, the, the Know Nothing Party um, <laughs> had this anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic bias. And so these are, this is, these are real issues in yep. Philadelphia. Um, and yet St. John persevered and he really wanted to bring devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and I think it's in such a way that you know, people immediately, after he died, devotion to him sprang up very quickly because mm-hmm. people saw what a holy, um, a holy life that he uh, that he led. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, a a very, in many ways, a very quiet life. Um, he didn't like attention at all, mm-hmm. um, but people knew that that was that that's what hid the great holiness of his life. I have to share one more story. That I yeah, just remembered do. this. Okay, so he also was part of building of the cathedral in, okay. in Philly. And it was during, this is what prompted the thought, it was during this very anti-Catholic time. Yeah. The, the people the people were not fans of Catholics. And so he was part of the building project. And so what he did is he brought a bunch of guys, a bunch of like construction, like big guys, have them pick up rocks and throw as high as they could up the cathedral wall to figure out where they were going to put the windows. And then, they, <laughs> and then they put the windows five feet above as high as these guys could throw wow. because people kept vandalizing the churches. Yeah. And so it's what, one of the things that I was thinking about with him, it seems by all accounts, he was very pastoral. Yep. He didn't like the limelight. Um, and yet he would have needed tremendous courage. Like yeah. he's in a, by all accounts, like, or at least in some of the circumstances, in a hostile environment. Yeah. He's building this cathedral, which is like quasi-cathedral, quasi-fortress, because he knows it's going to be like attacked. Yeah. Um, and you're like, that. that's just beautiful, because those two things, you wouldn't necessarily like put them together, but he brought that together. Um, he was kind of, I think he was courageous for the people that he was ministering to. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then I remember this from the kind of the episode arc that we were doing on him, um, but that he understood, it, it was kind of tied to the fortress idea of he was building this cathedral, he put the windows higher than people could possibly throw rocks um, because he knew that the church was this kind of like pillar and bulwark of truth. And so people needed it to receive true teaching, true preaching, um, and that that was so connected to his missionary zeal. He yeah. wanted to come over because he knew people needed to know Christ. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he kind of gave himself over to that in the concrete circumstances that he had to, building a cathedral, starting a school system, ministering to the, the people on the street. Um, but I love that rock story. That's I was like, that's story. an awesome that's story. story. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I... Um, I I think one of the things that that stands out to me at the end, thinking about uh, St. John Newman's mm-hmm. life, um, is the importance and fruitfulness of those people who give themselves entirely to the church and mm-hmm. to Christ in the work in, in work as missionaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about um, as I was learning about um, and thinking about the life of St. John Newman. Um, it reminded me of how much um, how much all of us, um, maybe especially Catholics in the U.S owe to the work of um, missionaries whose names we so true. forget. Yep. Um, you know, uh, if you're an Irish Catholic, um, you in some ways trace your lineage back to the missionary work of St. Patrick. Yep. There are lots of others who went with him. But, um, you know, or if you're, um, uh, and sometimes those are, sometimes missionaries are, are much, well, uh, much better known, mm-hmm. like St. Patrick. And, um, or maybe even, um, 
you know, Saint Augustine of Canterbury, Saint Augustine of Canterbury, yeah, or Saint Boniface in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes missionaries are less well known, mm-hmm. like Saint John Newman. Um, sometimes, of course, they're not known at all. Um, you know, I think of like the countless Franciscans and Dominicans um, who brought the gospel to the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, centuries before Saint John Newman wanted to be a missionary, there were um, Dominicans and Franciscans and Jesuits who wanted to bring the gospel mm-hmm. to North and South America. Um, and so it makes me think about how important missionaries are in the life and history of the church. And it also makes me think about how um, there's some missionaries who do great extraordinary works. You know, it's fun to tell the story of St. Boniface when he chops down donor's oak, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this sacred pagan oak. Um, and by chopping it down, actually kind of relieved mm-hmm. the populace of their fear of, um, of false gods. Um, and opened the way for Christ. Okay, that's a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of St. John Newman's life is more ordinary. Yeah. Um, but he did ordinary missionary work, which is itself kind of extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It is. And he did it with extraordinary desire. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think of St. John Newman and I think, um, you know, St. John Newman, pray for us for more missionaries. Yep. Um, you know, the Lord says that the, the harvest is abund- abundant, but the laborers are few. Mm-hmm. And so um, we should pray for more missionaries like St. John Newman, who, who aren't just drawn to the extraordinary, mm-hmm. but do the ordinary with great extraordinary zeal yep. and love. I love it. Alrighty, everybody. That's what we have for you for St. John Newman. Dr. Mooney, thank you very of much. Course. As always, Thanks, you can look up Dr. Mooney's other Catholic Saint episodes and other things. But until next time. That is all. Thanks. So this is a poor close, but we're going to keep going with it. We'll see you next time on Catholic Saints. Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast's themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.